Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Everyone, welcome to Hugh at Home. I'm Tracy Koga. Well, the other night we watched Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand, and she was, of course, amazing. But it really gave a different perspective for me on what home means. So, a beautiful home, cars, a sense of security, is all very important to a lot of people. But for some, maybe not. So coming up on this episode, I have a very interesting conversation with musician and producer Alex Kuba, who has made Smithers, B.C. his home. And we'll find out more from this award-winning musician on what music really means in his life. So here's my interview with Alex Kuba. I want to give a big hello, a friendly Winnipeg, Manitoba hello to Alex and it's so good to have you here, and uh, it's pretty cool. You're in Smithers, B.C., no forest fires, the summer has been great, and I guess a little thing called COVID and the pandemic have uh, kind of, I guess, changed the way we do things, and of course you, but it hasn't really stopped you because you've released some amazing new music, and uh, I want to talk about, though, first, your wardrobe something that you got nominated or put into a museum <laughs> oh, yeah that was a, it's a crazy piece of news because it's the first time it's the first time that i see myself at the beginning i have to be honest with you i don't know i didn't know how to take it is this a cool thing or is, is this meaning that i'm getting old i don't know what it is <laughs> but uh yeah pretty cool the grammy museum in la the city of los angeles has now the outfit that I wore to the Latin Grammys last year when I performed. And it's going to be on display there on an exhibition for a whole year. So <laughs> I think I'm going to miss my, my, my white leather Converse shoes. I think I'm going to miss my fedora hat. I'm going to miss all of it. I'm going to have to wait for a year <laughs> to come back to me. Oh, well, you're in some pretty heavy company with uh, Lionel Richie, I hear, and Taylor Swift. So, hey, you must, yeah. have, done, you must have done something right. <laughs> I think what, I, what I've done, maybe what I've done right is to, um, is to first of all, to come to live uh, in such a beautiful place. That's where I live, you know, um, Smithers, BC. That allows me to focus and to concentrate and, and to forge a forward, you know, a career of uh, meaning and dignity and and uh, and all of that, you know, because music is very deep for me. Music is it's my life, you know. I take it very seriously. I make people dance and have fun with my music. But I know it comes from a serious place. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's <laughs> you know? yeah, but that's Cuba in you. And I want to know how did you manage to come to Smithers, BC? Well, I. Uh, 
I moved to Victoria first. Uh, I think that if I if I would if I would have moved from Cuba all the way to Spain, I don't think I would have stand the chance here to 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 last a winter. To be quite honest, it was a, a crescendo thing for me. It was a, a work in pro, you know, in progress. It was quite the process. Uh, but we spent four years in Victoria. I came to Canada the first time in 1995. I was the bass player for uh, one of my father's band. And while in Canada on tour with that band, I met uh, my wife in, in Vancouver. She was going to university in Vancouver, Simon Fraser. And uh, that was 1995, that same year we got married. Uh, and then life be, you know, began to change for me. She spent a couple of years in Cuba living with me. And then we decided to come. And we went to Victoria first for four years. Um, and then after that, uh, our family was already, you know, um, big, I guess, you know, I had two, two kids so far uh, at that point, I mean, and uh, we decided to, we needed, cause I was, I was beginning to travel a lot and she was staying behind all the time by herself. So we needed to either go to Cuba to be with my family or come to Sweden to be with her family and. And at the same time, of course, made, uh, you know, have the kids uh, grow in a, in, a, in a family environment, you know. And this, uh, Smithers was was the, the destination. I think it was my decision. She would have been happy with going to Cuba. She loves Cuba. I love Cuba too. But for me, it was important to, to remain in North America. I had something inside of me creatively telling me that from Cuba, I was going to be just a Cuban artist from Canada, from this place, I, uh, I, I have become global, you know, which is the energy of my music. I don't see differences in people. I see all of us together. I see music as a unifying vehicle, and, and that is important uh, today more than ever. So. Oh, and that, yeah, leads me to the next question. With all of this, Alex, and being in isolation, and a lot of musicians have been writing and wanting to get back to performing, but again, it's having that voice, right? And mm -hmm. you do it beautifully between speaking in your native language and then singing in English, and you've always maintained a real passion for where you. you grew up. So why is it that when young musicians right away they have to find their genre. They have to find their sound and, and what that means and everything like that. Um, for you, was that always was that something in your mind? It doesn't seem to be because now you say that you're global. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is um, something that uh, sometimes is a little a little difficult for me to explain, and and even more difficult for some people to understand uh, because people hear Cuba. What, what do you mean? Uh, um, you know, they, people seem to know, uh, you know, that they know a lot about Cuba and stuff like that. And when we talk about music, you know, most people know that Cuba is, is quite strong musically, you know, and, and it's famous in the world for its music. But uh, when I say globally, and, and, and when I put it that way, what I mean is, um, and this is the part that sort of, you know, confuses people. I gained full musical identity in Canada. I when I when I was in Cuba, I wasn't a singer. Cuba, 
I have never opened my mouth to sing. The, the very few times I did it, um, I wasn't comfortable because my voice is not Cuban. The sound of my voice is not Cuban per se. Uh, Cuban voices have different sounds. They, they are loud as a trumpet, for example, to be able to command a 16 or 18 piece band, you know, and the, the loud voice have to be there. I have a soulful voice, which is not seen often in Cuban music and even, even more in Latin music. Mm -hmm. So kind of allow me to discover that voice. And once I discover it, because I had nobody, I didn't have the pressure of, of, of a strong culture telling me, no, you're different. No, you're different. You're different. You, you know what I mean? I found a huge amount of space. And um, because, no, you know, most people don't speak Spanish in Canada. That never shut me down. That actually, I always saw the language as 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 um, a, an incentive for me to to become better, to be better all the time. Because I some, something told me from early in my career in Canada that if your music, if what you do is exceptional, if it's beautiful, it will pierce the the barrier of language, like you have no idea. And so I, while I didn't have a Latin market right in front of me, I had a market that didn't understand what I was saying. So I took it as, okay, this is the world. I should aim at the world globally, musically, you know, what I do. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's what, I, what I've been meaning. Meaning I don't, you know how sounds and, and even topics, uh, they have an aim culturally on, on you know, in, in different societies, you know, like, um, all music done in Miami, for example, has to be rhythmical because people only like dancing, or most people only like dancing. You know what I mean? I like, I like it all, and Canada allows me to express myself however I want. My only goal is always to make it beautiful. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and that you do. So let's talk about your new album, Mendo, and and the meaning behind that, and I guess the music that is in this. Absolutely. One. What a year, what a year uh, that is, it doesn't seem to be quite over yet. But for us, for creators, for musicians, I think uh, it was a moment to really realize how deep it runs, you know, in our veins and how important it is and how much it keeps, keeps us alive, you know. Mm -hmm. Whoever took that for granted, for granted, uh, got to come face to face with it last year, you know, and say, oh my God, thanks God for, for this song that I'm just writing now, you know, it's giving me the inspiration that, that I need, you know, to keep going. Um, I got, I received a phone call from CBC Radio um, Vancouver last year, right after Bill Withers passed away. That mm -hmm. was at, at, almost at the beginning of the pandemic. It was the end of March, mm -hmm. oh, at the beginning. And they were, the phone call was to ask me if I would like to participate in a tribute show to, um, to uh, Bill Withers. They were putting together. Mm -hmm. And I, believe, I tell you, um, I was coming off a really kind of um, intense moment because I had a, I had a, a long tour uh, in the U.S. that came down, you know, crumbling, got canceled completely. And I was like, oh, I was so looking forward to do it. Anyway, it took me a couple of days to answer th that request until I, uh, until I said, yeah, okay. 
Let's do it. But the request, the request they, they wanted me, they needed us. They needed everybody that they were inviting. They needed us to record ourselves mm-hmm. and send the song because that, you know, everything was shut down, right? And I said, okay. So I set up my studio. I do, I didn't find a better place than my, my living room <laughs> to set up my, my studio. And the way I went, I did record just the two of us, oh. which actually just hit a one million stream, streams on Spotify about three days ago. Oh my goodness. And it, blow, it, it blows my mind because it's only one guitar and one voice, you know, and I love that. But, but anyway, um, I say yes, and I, I, am I ever happy that I say yes? And when I sent them the song, they loved it. And I got an email saying that even some member of that staff, even, they even cried when they heard the song. It was a very fragile moment. Everybody was like, nobody knew what was going to happen. So we were all very emotional, I think. Um, and that was all, all it took for me to begin creating, and I didn't stop. And slowly started coming this album, and I started writing songs like no, you know, like like crazy, and reaching out to other you know singers because I ended up having five collaborations on the album, mm-hmm. inter- international. But I think everybody was in such a, a a mood, an emotional mood, that creativity was the perfect thing, you know, to let all of that out, right? So they all got back to me immediately, saying yes, yes, you know, and the album put together itself quite quite easily, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's an album. Uh, at some point of the uh, of the creation of the album, which I titled Mendo, and it was released May 21st, I, I realized that I didn't want uh, the album to be deemed the album that came out of the pandemic, you know, because I, that was going to make me, I don't know, sometime in the future, maybe not like the album. And I, I love the classic appeal of my music. I like the fact that I can go back and listen to my first album and still love it, you know? Because I am a classic artist. I have that taste in music. And so I said, you know what? That is not going to be pandemic anywhere on this album. This is about life and how precious life is. And let's enjoy and unity and all, and hope, you know? So I uh, that's, that's the angle I gave it. Uh, Mendo, for those of you that want to know, what Mendo means. Mm-hmm. Mendo, Mendo is an Afro-Cuban word uh, that I found very meaningful for the moment. Uh, it's a very deep word with a lot of layers. Anything that has ability, uh, unmistakable talent, that has um, unexplainable qualities to it, has Mendo in it. Mendo is something magical. It only comes from the soul. You know, mm-hmm. and I saw I, I thought it was the, the most appropriate thing or term to, to title my new album. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. Oh, so I know Thank that you. I was hoping that you could do an acoustic, but I know that you know things were a little rushed. But is there a chance that you could? Yeah, sure. Why not? I just have to find that. Would you give me just a second? I need to yeah. find my uh cable. Mm-hmm. Sarah, what is the case for the? In the pocket of the case, there is my cable in there. Unless I... Uh... While I'm talking to you, I'm going to tune up. Okay. Where in Winnipeg are you? Uh, we are in Winnipeg, Manitoba. The capital of Manitoba. 
Right in the city, nice. I think you were supposed to do a show just before or and then everything shut down. Yeah. I think at the Park Theater, Alex. At the Park Theater, yeah. Um, from the new album, we can do, we can do, um, Hay un disparo de luz en tu sonrisa que se apodera de mí como la brisa que enseña la sensación del movimiento que no conoce el temor ni el sufrimiento no es un eclipse del sol no es un pretexto no tiene acento ni voz le sobra el tiempo asciende desde el amor el más honesto me enseña todo el honor sin ser su dueño. Tu amor y tu amistad me significan más que todo cuanto pueda existir. ¿Y qué sabía yo? De amar sin condición, de sentimientos libres para dos. Nunca te he visto de azul. En mi presencia, ningún error te dejó en la tormenta. Aumentas tu desnudez con inocencia. Me has hecho el hombre en que soy sin darme cuenta. Tu amor y tu amistad me significan más que todo cuanto pueda existir. Y que sabía yo de amar sin condición, de sentimientos libres para 
grandes sentimientos libres para up next we have a video produced by One Just City and it takes us back to when the pandemic first began and how nonprofit organizations in our city banded together and made a plan. So here's a look at holding Winnipeg together. had 48 hours notice that the province was locking down. So the first big challenge that we had was trying to figure out how to move all of our service delivery to be remote or outreach-based rather than welcoming folks here into the centre. In order to respond to community needs, we shifted a bit and we were doing more kind of essential services. So things like advocacy really amped up, food insecurity issues really amped up, so we addressed those. We did not reduce service, we did not close service, people did not work from home. We opened service, we furthered service, and we expanded. Because of COVID, a lot of shelters had to reduce their capacity to make sure everybody was spaced out and everybody was safe. The biggest change, I think, was when the first lockdown happened and a lot of our mothers were unable to visit their children. And we knew right away that food and income insecurity were going to be an issue during the pandemic and it was really going to start widening those gaps that we already saw in our community. Our civic government, they didn't have the means to sort of quickly change and adapt their programming to meet the new need encompassed with the safety protocols around COVID-19. One of the things that was really key to the work that we did in the pandemic was we kept being a place for folks to access harm reduction supplies, hygiene supplies and food. They were able to come to us and other agencies in the community through COVID over the last year and get those things at the door in a really safe way without exposing themselves to COVID. We're the bridge between the person on the street and the ability to get some basic fundamental needs met. We 
we were able to come together and form committees that responded to community need and that allowed us to share resources. Making sure some agencies were doing some things, other agencies were doing other things, so a lot of figuring out who was doing what and how to switch that up and have everybody providing something for community. One of the things I don't think the public is aware of is how closely knit the social service providers are in this community. It's beautiful to have sister agencies understand we don't have to waste a lot of time you know, talking about things. We can get to action pretty quick. Well, we all learned to use Zoom very quickly and we started meeting on a regular basis to share ideas and resources. We were in one of those meetings. Our van had been broken into twice. Tessa from One Just City saw that. She messaged me immediately after and she's like, I bet you I can get you some decals to prevent that from happening. We got the van into the shop. They put on the decals for free and we got it and we have had no break-in since. We had an amazing partnership with One Just City who was able to secure a large amount of food that was donated and they shared that with over a dozen agencies throughout the city, so that's been amazing. Because of the size of our food bank, we were able to absorb a lot of donations and then distribute them to smaller organizations that don't have good food storage capabilities. There was a night where our heat kicked out and so the Salvation Army opened up their space for all of our guests. Main Street Project helped us transport guests over there. Spence Neighborhood Association, they also let us use their van. Yeah, we found everybody a spot to go. I think also it's been challenging for our staff. They aren't taking breaks. They haven't been at home watching Netflix. They've been here every single day. Without the protection of a vaccine, they put their bodies on the line every day and they won't give up on their community because they know the needs are great and they're deeply committed to the work that we do here. We're trying to instill a sense of hope and direction in people that feel very often voiceless, unheard, and hopeless, right? And I, don't, I really don't believe it needs to be that way. I, I believe it can be, I can, we can be better, we can do better. And so some of the shifts that we've made should stay. The pandemic was the great revealer. Many of the things that we had been told were just impossible to make happen, happen within 48 hours. So now we know change can happen and there's a heck of a lot more of it that needs to happen on a long-term basis. We want to give a very special thank you to all of our guests on today's show and leave you with this question. If you had a chance to move somewhere else to make your new home, where would it be and why? 
We want to know, so send us an email to hello at ilikeyou.com or message us on Facebook and Instagram at ilikeyou. But for now, stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time on Hugh at Home. listening. This has been a production of ilikeyou.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Andrea Askowitz and I'm Allison Langer and we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com and listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.